You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk episode, episode 45, the show for May 2017, and I'm your host, Bart Pushots. Joining me today, I have a fabulous panel, as always. Uh, in no particular order, we have Chuck Joyner from Mac Joyce's back with us. Mac Joyce's? Mac Voices, even. Oh, dear. Anyway, Chuck, welcome back. Nice nice to have you on again. It's good to be here, uh, Bart, and it is, it's a joyous podcast. Yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, so Chuck is with us from the United States. Also with us from the United States, we have uh, Linda Goucher back with us. Hi, Linda. Hello, Bart. Good to be back. A pleasure to have you as always. And uh, unless I'm much mistaken, there's no earnings call. So it's actually fun to have you when I don't need to to make you be an analyst. We can just talk normal <laughs> Apple news instead of finance. No, that's fine. We've got we've got a story or two that might go in that direction. We'll see. That is true, actually. There is at least one billion dollar story in that direction um and finally then we have nick riley with us hi nick hi boss good to be back pleasure to have you as always you're here representing the united kingdom of great britain and northern ireland so basically we're a transatlantic show today Uh, i'm not sure whether i want that responsibility actually (laughs) fair enough you you are hereby absolved you are representing nick riley um before i get stuck into news from this month there's a few sort of quick follow-up stories to stuff we've talked about in previous episodes of the show they just want to quickly draw people's attention to so there's been an ongoing evolving story about india where basically apple want to start selling stuff in india the indian government won't let apple in unless apple manufacture at least some stuff in india so i can say that in may the first iphones assembled in india rolled off an indian production line so apple are going ahead with their move into India, which I guess is good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked in the previous show, the uh, April show, about the pretty strong rumors that Apple was working on some sort of glucose tracking. The idea being you would have some sort of non-invasive device that would somehow connect with the Apple Watch that would track blood glucose levels. And there's now reporting that Tim Cook has been seen effectively testing such a device on the Apple campus. So that makes it sound even more like this thing is real. It's, you know, somewhere on the road to being a product between an idea and a finished product. Uh, I think we also mentioned that Apple were planning on making their own GPUs going forward and that the company they currently buy their GPUs from were not um, pleased, shall we say. Well, they have become even more displeased since last we spoke, and they have triggered the dispute regulation process defined in their patent contracts with Apple. Uh, I think everyone expects that this will fail and that will end up in a courtroom somewhere. So I think this is probably one to stick a pin in. Basically, Imagination Technologies insist it is impossible for Apple to make their own GPUs without infringing on their patents, and therefore Apple must pay them. And Apple disagree. And so they will be arguing about that, I am sure. Uh, We talked last time about Apple revamping their stores and that they were going to have these in-store sessions. Well, they now have launched a website to detail the in-store sessions, basically education sessions, which they're going to have. So that is linked in the show notes. And finally, we talked last time about Windows S, 
which is a sort of stripped down version of Windows that will only run apps from the App Store. And I can now tell you that one of the apps that will be in that Windows App Store is the iTunes app. So Apple have made their app do whatever it needs to do to go into the Windows S Store. Okay. Any of those warrant comment before we move on or are they pretty standalone-ish? I, I think uh, a couple things. I, I wanted would comment that on India, from a business standpoint, it is huge. And I don't mean just because the country is large, but because the projected growth rate there is um, imp- impressive. I'll say, yeah. just say it that well, way. Yeah, I mean, the market and, is far from saturated. Yeah, one of the one of the, one of the things that happens is that uh, on the analyst calls, they will come up and say, "Well, smartphones uh, sales in general are uh, diminishing, mm. and the growth rate anyway is diminishing, not this, so much." And Tim will come back and say, "I think there's still plenty of room for growth." And one of the areas he's pointing to is India when he makes that comment. Yeah. So just say that. Okay, um, the next section I have in the show notes is our good old notable numbers. So Morgan Stanley have released numbers this month. And what Morgan Stanley found is that 92% of iPhone users who are planning to upgrade their phone within the next 12 months are somewhat likely or extremely likely to stick with the iPhone range. So basically replace their iPhone with another iPhone. So the, that implies that no matter how how much Wall Street might wish that there were more newer iPhones, that the iPhone 7 had more bells and whistles, it would appear that the majority of users of iPhones remain contented and happy with their devices. Yeah, and that number was, uh, I guess, down a year ago and is up now almost to its all-time high. So that's that's good news. I mean, I think most companies would be happy with a 92% sat rate. I think that's... Like that, that's certainly not it's not too shabby mm-hmm. is this really a surprise to anyone and, and I don't mean to sound smug but I don't know anyone that is this quote unquote unhappy with their iPhone I mean maybe there's some out there and I'm sure we'll hear from them if there are but it just it seems like one of those devices that once you go in there I, is there anything compelling that's taking people away other than the only thing I've ever heard is the customizability. Is that the word? Anyway, of Android, you know. I, and I, I like I work in a fairly nerdy environment. You know, I'm a sysadmin by day, and there is a personality type that is very common among sysadmins where they want to be able to get under the hood of everything. And those people initially were iPhone users because the iPhone was sort of the only game in town, and those people have now all sodded off. And they are now Android users. And I think that got out of the system really quite early in the process. Um, and so those people are all on Android, and I think they're going to stay there because they want under the hood. But other than that, I, I, I don't know people who are cranky with with their iPhones. I, I guess I, I've asked this question of people that make that comment, Bart, that you know they, they want to be able to get under the hood. They want to be able to do this and do that. And I keep saying, show me what it is that you want to do that is significant or material. And I have yet to have anybody give me a really good answer. I'm sure there are are some good answers to that question, but it just seems like most of the time it's almost well. I just want to be able to. That's it exactly. Uh, it's it's a philosophical yeah. thing. I I feel constrained by being in someone else's walled garden, and they just feel fundamentally 
uncomfortable and they they actually don't make much use of the abilities that android offers but they know right. they're there and that makes them feel yeah. better i think it's also become less of an issue over time so um, i think it's fair to say that with the first iphones they were quite restrictive um, and as time has gone by you've been able to get more and more things like for instance i might be wrong about mm-hmm. this but I, I think I'm right in thinking that originally you were stuck with the one um, email client, for instance. Yeah, um, I mean, I, whereas I was... I've got I, I use I use Spark now on my iPhone because I, I like it, um, and I can do that now. Whereas at one time you couldn't, but you could on an Android. So I think the difference has changed as time has gone by, partly because the iPhone has become um, less restrictive, mm. but also. Um, I think they've come. They've grown closer to one. Oops, sorry about that. I've just hit my microphone. Oops. They've become closer to one another over time. Yeah, because Apple have added ever more APIs. So I mean, is it? What, I think it's two versions of iOS ago now that Apple released an absolute glut of APIs. So all of a sudden, it became possible to have a custom keyboard, and it became possible to have extensions in messages, and it became possible to have all sorts of stuff in that share sheet. And every time Apple add more APIs, it becomes possible to do more and more things. So you're still in a walled garden, but the walls are being moved ever further away so that as you're standing there as a user, you see less and less of them. Because, you know, the the things developers can do just keep growing and growing and growing. I mean, I think the only only two reasons I can think personally uh, over why I might not go for an iPhone would be cost and um and the other one's gone completely out of my head <laughs> what was the other one what was the other one nick um it was uh i don't know it's gone there... sorry it's my age <laughs> are there some uh google surface services that work better on android i would think that there would be well the integration um, is tighter so so like yeah. siri is much better integrated in ios Google's Assistant is way, 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 way better integrated into in, into Android. Like if you if you if you live in the Google ecosystem, I think you know. On the one hand, you could say, but it's invaded all of your privacy completely. And on the other hand, yeah, but the Assistant knows absolutely everything, which is both brilliant and terrible at the same time. Right. There, there are some people that that are willing to make that trade off. And also the the cost factor that Nick mentioned is of the people that I know who use Android, and I don't know very many at all, but of the few that I do, the cost perception, whether it's real or not, I'm not sure. Uh, But that perception is part of why they stick there. Yeah, I mean, there are, if you want the latest and greatest, the iPhone is, it's not cheap. But if if you're prepared to take the iPhone SE or the older model iPhones that they keep on sale, they get very cheap especially if you take them on yeah. contract. Yeah, I agree. Now, I've, I've, some... remembered, I've remembered what the other thing was. It was um, boredom. Boredom? <laughs> it, might be just, it might be just that they're a bit bored of their iPhones. You know, they've had them for a long time. They work in pretty much the same way as they did when they first came out, and they might want to change. Possible. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing mm-hmm. I, I sometimes see is people who... You know, they've been using the iPhone for a long time, so every little small thing that annoys them, they know about, and it, it irks them. And then they change to Android, and then they realize that there's way more things in Android that irk them, and then they come back to iOS. 
It's like, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten why I left. Yeah, I've seen people do that, too. And the other comment that I'll make about this story, Morgan Stanley themselves is a very substantial company. Mm. And when they are doing the data, that puts more oomph, to, to yeah. use a, a cultural term, behind the stats. So, yeah, they're, they're quite a good substantial firm, good reputation. Um, another stat that crossed my radar this month uh, came from the Gar- sorry from the Telegraph in the UK, and as of basically this month, a tipping point has been reached for Apple Pay in the sense that there are now more point of sale terminals in the UK where you have limitless payments with Apple Pay than there are where you still have the limited the thirty pound limit that was there initially. Uh, so. More and more purchases can be made with Apple Watch and over half of the the point of sales in the UK will now allow you to buy as much or as little as you like with your Apple Watch, which I think is is good for Apple's uh, continued rollout of Apple Pay. I have a question about that, mm-hmm. um, about this story. Is it? I, I know that this is true. I understand from the story that this is true for Apple Pay. But what about um, Google Pay and Samsung Pay and all those? Do they still have that thirty dollar limit? Or so what has is, what has changed? Is it just Apple Pay, or is it the others as well? I think it's up to the banks to decide. But basically, if you have a card card, like a physical piece of plastic which just has the RFID in it, they're still limited. The reason being it's very easy to steal your wallet and then to be able to make payments. The reason they're treating Apple Pay differently is because you need the biometric. You need that fingerprint scan before it will work. And what the banks are choosing to do with Google Pay, I don't know. But I would imagine they would be running through a similar sort of analysis, a risk analysis, basically, and decide, you know, and they're going to categorize it either as treated like a card or treated like a protected device like an iPhone. And I don't know what way the banks have come down on that, unfortunately, because I don't live in the UK. Nick, maybe you have a little more insight? Maybe not? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. No, fair enough. Um, logically speaking, you would imagine the banks would treat Android Pay and Apple Pay the same. Mm-hmm. Logically okay. speaking. But I don't know how much logic enters into banking. <laughs> <laughs> good, good thought. Um, legal latest then. Um, just a few, three stories in here. Um, good news. Apple and Nokia have reached agreement in their patent dispute. So the, the, I had expected this to be one of those stories that continues forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And apparently, under Tim Cook, Apple are more conciliatory about these things. So, for an undisclosed sum of money, um, and and including ongoing licensing payments, and in exchange for providing certain network infrastructure product and services to Apple, basically the whole thing has gone away. So Apple are handing over a bulk sum of money followed by an ongoing licensing payment, and Nokia are providing certain network infrastructure infrastructure product and services to Apple. So I'm not sure what that means, but they've obviously come to some sort of gentleman's agreement, and it's nice to see the litigation stopped, in my opinion. And they all ended happily ever after. <laughs> it seems like it, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I Go ahead, Nick. No, no, no. Go on, Karen. Um, I did hear speculation, and it was just speculation to my knowledge, that one of the reasons that Apple chose to settle on this particular suit is because they are gearing up for such a strong, strong, long battle with uh, Qualcomm. Right. Because that's the other. Yeah. So that right. one is. is uh, so I did hear that. Whether that has any merit, 
or not. I don't know. Well, the other way to look at that is if Apple are going to win against Qualcomm, they need people like Nokia on their side. Yeah. Because it affects Nokia yeah. just as much as does Apple. So they would be a very useful ally. And if you're in the middle of fighting them too, I guess that's it's hard to to come to common ground. So this is settled until the next dispute comes up. Yes, yeah. Because you know there's going to be another dispute. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's not very often that Kraft Foods and TC Heartland end up in Let's Talk Apple. But I this, this time around, those two companies actually do come up. Basically, there's an ongoing patent infringement case between Kraft Foods and beverage flavoring company TC Heartland. And what's at stake in this case, what drove this case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court is the question of where can you sue for patent infringement? What is What venues are acceptable? And ultimately, it all comes down to uh, 28 U.S.C. 1400B, which is the so-called patent venue statute which says, and I quote, any civil action for patent infringement may be brought in the judicial district where the defendant resides or where the defendant has committed acts of infringement and has regular and established place of business. And the question was, what does it mean, reside? And that was before the Supreme Court. Uh, The argument from TC Heartland was that reside means where they are corporately headquartered. And the Supreme Court agreed. So this means that there is going to be less, although not zero, venue shopping for patent cases. And it means that perhaps they won't all happen in the Eastern District of Texas anymore. Now, Apple do business in so many places. Apple may not get away with, may not get much out of this, but certainly a lot of tech companies are going to gain from this, I think. That sounds sounds a good thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this I mean this is great news. It it just seems unbelievable to me that we have jurisdictions that are more favorable to certain types of cases, not not plaintiffs or or defendants, but types of cases. That that just blows it, it has always blown me away. You know, what I mean, I thought the law was supposed to be balanced and even and fair. And to, yeah, certainly mm-hmm. there're going to be more liberal jurisdictions and more conservative jurisdictions. But to, to say that I'm going to file this particular kind of action in a particular place because they, they the judges are more favorable to it, nah, that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah. Evidently, uh, some companies, Samsung is the one that I've heard, has donated lots of money to little league teams, et cetera, et cetera, in that district. Yes. Um, <laughs> in order, I guess, to uh, to uh, get favorable PR so that they would do well in any such cases. So I, that's yeah, I'm with I'm with you, Chuck. This makes the law much fairer. Yeah. Yeah, because it was the case basically that the reason the Eastern District of Texas was so popular for patent cases is that the juries have a tendency to side with quote-unquote the little guy against quote-unquote the evil big corporations and so you have samsung and and the likes coming in and being very generous in the local in the locality and uh, you know where do juries come from well they come from the locality so if you if you make yourself popular in the locality you're making yourself popular with juries it's a very strange state of affairs in that i'm happy I guess the locals of, of that particular, of Marshall, Texas, are not going to be happy because they're going to cease getting this kind of TLC from corporations. But I, I, I'm i delighted, all in all. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, last one then, to prove Chuck's point that uh, whenever one litigation ends, another one begins. Well, I guess in this case, it's not Apple suing, it's Apple being sued, and that just goes on forever and ever and ever. But the security company RSA are suing Apple and Visa, claiming that Apple Pay infringes their patents. They basically claim to have patented the concept of having a biometric secure a credit card transaction. So uh, this is one I expect we will be talking about many times. So I think stick a pin in it and I guess we'll deal with it when a judge says something. So I, I'm going to move us into the main stories. And uh, a lot of these main stories this month are meta stories as in they're not a single story that is big news in itself but a trend in the news which when you take a few stories together give you a topic that's actually really quite interesting um, which I guess is one of the, the things I like about doing a monthly show is that it's possible to sometimes see the forest for the trees like this and this month is particularly like that with, with a lot of these sort of meta stories so the first meta story I've named science versus fitness trackers including the Apple Watch so there's basically three related news stories here. So the first is that researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, they are, they're working on a study looking at detecting abnormal heart rhythms, and they have found that the Apple Watch can do that with a 97% accuracy rate, which I just think is amazing that, that, that you're a watch can be so useful and so, so accurate at potentially detecting life-threatening heart rhythm problems. So that, that sort of caught my eye. Um, and then separately to that, Stanford researchers basically put the Apple Watch and a number of other common fitness trackers to the test and asked the question, okay, then these things claim to be tracking calorie burn and heart rate. How accurate are they? And it really is a story of two halves. But the one thing that is in common is that Apple come out on top every time. So the Apple Watch is the most accurate heart rate monitor that you can buy from these, you know, wrist-bound devices, better than Fitbit, etc. And that actually is very accurate, sort of a a 5% error bar at most, which is pretty darn good, actually, for something you just put on your wrist. And then when it comes to calorie tracking... The Apple Watch still wins, but it's not the most accurate. It's the least inaccurate with error bars up to 20% and higher, which is astonishing to me that absolutely all of these fitness trackers are so bad at calculating calorie burn that that disturbs me quite a bit. Um, And I guess the last related story is that Apple have surpassed Fitbit as the largest manufacturer by unit sales of wearable devices. So, so what do what do you guys make of of this cluster of stories? Well, on the whole, they're they're very very good news for Apple. Um, I do I do have a question though, because Bart, I know you exercise, and I'm not mm. sure about <clears throat> Nick and uh, and Nick. Do you you don't have an Apple Watch? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that's right. I I haven't. Um, okay. And I I, I do. I, I walk. That's about mm-hmm. the ex- the, as much exercise as I get. <laughs> Do you have okay. a tracker of any kind? I mean, e- e- even even not just an Apple Watch. Uh, I, I mean, I use my Android watch for distance and whatever, but okay. no, I have nothing that. And I think that can measure my heart rate. But you yes, don't you don't use yes. it as such. It can but, do, no, but it's not your thing. Yep. Okay, Chuck, okay. you're a fellow Apple Watch lover, I believe. Yes, I am indeed. Uh, and Linda, what about yourself? 
Well, I have an Apple Watch, but I have a uh, Series Zero, the you know the very first one, mm-hmm. and. I am, I do, among other things, I do spinning for exercise, which, you know, gets your heart rate up quite high. And I used to wear um, the chest strap. And on occasion, I noticed the Apple Watch telling me numbers that I don't quite believe. Right. So that was really my question. I I, uh, didn't read the article closely enough. I'm assuming they were using the latest Apple Watches. And I'm curious is if either you or Chuck have a sense if you, you know, exercise and track your heart rate, if you have a sense as to the accuracy. I can tell you that I noticed a difference when I switched from a Series 0 to a Series 2. So basically, I I kept doing the same workouts, and on the Series 2, I got less credit for them. Not, (laughs) Not massively less, but less. It, from a heart rate perspective or in terms of number of calories? Because that could be just... Yeah, at that time yeah. I wasn't looking at the heart rate data because I didn't know enough to know what was normal and stuff. So at that stage when I made that switch, I was fascinated by calories. I've now since started to track my heart rate more. more. I think it's because it was picking up a higher heart rate and therefore giving me more calorie credit, I think. But unfortunately, I wasn't watching those two metrics at the time, I, I just noticed the calorie burn was so different. Well, I say so different. You know, you're talking about perhaps a 5-10% difference on average. You were also getting more and more fit. So that I may know. make a difference. Yeah. So but there was a discontinuity. Like it was, it was noticeable from one week to the next. And I didn't get massively fitter just because I changed my watch. <laughs> okay. All right. Good point. <laughs> Who knows, Bart? Maybe that's a new selling point. Change your watch and get fitter. <laughs> there you go. My yeah, experience and, and... of um, my experience of uh, health monitoring generally, hmm. uh, and this is by doctors and whatever, um, is that it's comparison that matters far more than accuracy. Um, and while while they'd want things to be reasonably accurate, they, they never take anything once so i have problems with my blood pressure and uh, i also suffer from what they call white coat syndrome in that when i measure my blood pressure it goes up which doesn't help and uh, so my doctor always takes my blood pressure four or five times in a row because he knows that over time it's going to slowly settle down and become a sort of normal blood pressure and i wonder sometimes whether um it's good. It's good that the Apple Watch is, is accurate, but sometimes it's more important that you can measure it against other exercise and other. So uh, when you're not wearing the same watch day after day after day, it means even if the number isn't accurate, it is consistent. Yes, in in which case you're getting a, a feel for the range which whatever you're measuring yes. it normally fits in. Yeah, and the, the thing to notice, actually, is the error bars, even though when it comes to energy expenditure, all of the devices do poorly, the Apple Watch has the tightest clustering, so it is the most consistent of all the devices tested. Yeah. yeah and indeed, on the heart rate, it is extremely tight. It's barely even visible on the graph in places. It's so tight, which is great to see. Yeah, see, I've I've got a range. I've occasionally had readings as low as 40. And as fit as I am, I don't think my resting heart rate has ever been as low as 40. Uh, Uh, Actually, one thing to say, Linda, measuring heart rate on the wrist 
is always less accurate than a chest strap because your right. extremities are affected by things like a drop in temperature will cause a wrist-based device to read overly low. So there are known things that a wrist-based device, by nature of it being on your wrist, are going to get worse at in temperature. So in the winter, you're more likely to get an overly low reading on any wrist device, including the Apple Watch. I'm in, I'm in California, though. I mean, okay. so so I'm not. I mean, we don't get, we don't get. I mean, the lowest we get is maybe 40 degrees, unless it's you know extremely unusual. But uh, and this is also usually indoors. So and then I've had readings as high as 200. And I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> you know, I've, I never. So anyway, but, but it may be just that I need um, I need to update my watch, which I'd like if, if they come out with a new one in the fall. See, I have the perfect excuse. Right. So. Yeah. So well, my excuse uh, was I needed a waterproof one because I live in Ireland, but you're in California, so you can't even use that. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I'll just have to use I'll use the other excuse. I'll I'll look and see what they do in the fall. Yeah. So I was just curious. Thank you. Yeah. Nick, I, li- like yourself, I, I also have suffered with blood pressure issues and white coat syndrome to the point where I had this this sort of almost rote response. You know, you'd be in some sort of medical place for the first time and they'd measure your blood pressure. And I, before the nurse says anything, I'd say, yes, it's high. It's always high when you people measure it. <laughs> so my my yeah, approach uh, yes otherwise otherwise they start getting very looking very you know ashen faced and <laughs> well yeah they, they they sort of they give they give you that look and you know they're trying to think of a nice way to say you do realize your blood pressure is high and i just sort of stop and go yeah i know it's high it's because you've measured it but my, my sort of approach to that has been to buy a whole measuring device in my case a withings one which syncs to the iphone over bluetooth and to track it myself in the comfort of my own home and then I can show my doctor, here's what it normally does when you are not here poking at me. And that makes him I, and I, me happier. Well, strangely, I'm, I'm just the same. But, uh, but, but when I'm at home, it's exactly the same as when I'm at the doctor. So I always take my blood pressure four or five times in a row. It, it, it always normalizes after after the third or fourth time of me taking it. Uh, right. And the doctor's only really interested... In the uh, in the best set of figures or the average over over the ones that they've taken, yeah. Um, so, uh, so so they're not. That's what I was saying about accuracy. Really, is it sometimes accuracy isn't so important as knowing what range th- is normal and that mm. things should fit into. Yeah, um, and, and particularly blood, for blood pressure. Yeah, blood pressure is particularly pernickety because it doesn't sit still. Yeah. Yes. Like you actually yeah. have. A defined heart rate, uh, you know, and you actually have burnt so many calories while doing so much walking. But blood pressure is so fickle, so unstable. It's it's a very odd but, thing to try. I mean, make. even cal- even calculating calories is is not that straightforward, is it? Because you've got no. to take into account weight and and things as well. Because if you're he- very heavy and you're not used to exercise, you're probably going to burn more calories initially than someone who's quite fit and i've discovered this yes so when i started getting fit it was really easy to burn 2000 calories in an afternoon because basically i did any sort of exercise at all and i was huffing and puffing and pouring with sweat (laughs) and now i cycle twice as far twice as fast and i come home and it says well done you burned 800 calories and oh it's hot (laughs) (laughs) I should be happy, of course, but it doesn't mean I can have less cake. Uh, <laughs> <in your point. laughs> yeah. 
And you're pointing to one of the, I think, one of the interesting problems that Apple and a lot of these other device manufacturers have. There are so many variables. There are so many issues. And we expect them all to be solved by strapping something on our wrist. Yeah. And, and I'm not and, – and something Nick said really resonated. I've had my doctor tell me, you know, look – I'm not really worried about your blood pressure, about you monitoring it, you know, and, and having it between this and that. I'm more worried about the spikes or the drops, mm. you know. So get, get get a device, you know, if if you want to bring it in, you know, to calibrate against ours, fine. But you know, the the the, the important thing is to use it, take it, and if you see things really high or really low, or you know, a, a, a pattern that seems abnormal, then call me. But otherwise, you know, don't don't obsess over the fact that, you know, it's it's 80 versus 82 or 120 versus 122. You know, just just the the, the bigger picture is is the important thing. And that's one reason I guess the quantified lifestyle thing. I just have not spent the time on it because I feel like, OK, if I'm monitoring anything, the rings for me are good enough right now. Yeah. I think actually you should – if you're going to monitor stuff, you should probably view it on a graph with the numbers turned off because what really matters is the trend. So no matter how inaccurate your weighing scale is, it doesn't matter what number it says. What matters is whether the line is going up or down. If your blood pressure is too high, it doesn't really matter what number it says. What matters is are the, are the numbers heading in the right direction over a four-month, six-month, eight-month period? No, but that applies to so many things in life. <laughs> it, it does, though. You know, you know, just yeah, zoom out. You know, we're in Apple Health, pinch and zoom and zoom the zoom the graph out. And if over six months it's heading in the right direction, it really doesn't matter what the numbers are. You, you know, you're on the right course. And if it's heading in the wrong direction, then you need to take stock and make a change and then see if that shifts the shifts the curve. Absolutely. Exactly. And use the device use a device consistently don't use you know this device then that device and start comparing because they may be comp- calibrated completely differently yes and absolutely. i realize that we all sound like we've graduated from medical school here but <laughs> well, i actually have a science degree so i feel i have some sort of qualification in talking about consistent apparatus oh, thank you dr bishots yeah no, i didn't go that far in my science <laughs> yeah. education i do have a bsc though in experimental physics and computer science oh very good does that, does, that mean, does, does that mean we're your guinea pigs, Bart? I'm not sure I like this. No, if I had, now if I had a medical degree, I could do that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's – I mean I would say particularly for weight, I think you need to be very regimented. So for me, it's every Sunday morning, first thing in the morning, the same weighing scales in the same room with the same – well, frankly, total lack of clothing. Uh, because the the scale I have is one of the body measurement ones, so it needs you to be barefoot, and so it's just easier to just jump out of bed and onto the scale. And if you're consistent about it, you'll find there's not that much wiggle on the line. But if you were to weigh yourself, you know, on an evening one week and on the morning another week, and just over the course of a day, your weight actually changes quite a lot depending on how much you've you know how, how much you've eaten and various other bodily doodads. Yeah, so, yeah. So you need to be consistent. Anyway. Any final thoughts, or shall we move on to the money story? That's money, money, money. That's money, money, money. So Apple have launched a billion dollars. Um, It's a fund for advanced manufacturing in the United States. So basically, Apple want to encourage 
the manufacture of high-tech stuff within the United States of America, and they are putting forward a billion-dollar investment fund. So it's not a gift fund. It's an investment fund, basically. If you want to build a factory to build something that we think is useful, we will effectively give you a loan and you'll give us some sort of stake in that factory and then we will come to an arrangement that way. So a billion dollars, um, which is certainly a way to juice, to try juice jobs in the United States. And in fact, if it's an advanced manufacturing, one would assume those jobs would trend towards the higher paying, I guess. And so far, we know where one-fifth of the money is going. One-fifth of the money is going to Corning Glass, who have a facility in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, that is getting $200 million from this fund. So I'm going to ask the Americans, and particularly Linda, since you're our financial whiz, how should we interpret what seems to me like a, a solid investment by Apple in America? I, I think it's a great move. Um, there's a lot of – there may be some political advantage to doing this. Hmm. Um, the state of Kentucky is also particularly red uh, and went very heavily for Mr. Trump as mm-hmm. president. And I would imagine since there are some issues where Apple is on the other side, for instance, today's news about the Paris – Accord. Yes. Um, uh, it probably is good for Apple to be investing that amount of money in the middle of Kentucky. So, I mean, that's I'm just looking at it there from the political angle. So, um, there's undoubtedly other angles. The other part is is that Corning has been a supplier to Apple for a long time. As far as I know, they have been the main supplier of glass on all the iPhones. Yes, since the original, actually, which was the Gorilla Glass product at the time, and we've now had better and better glasses. But yeah, they've always it's it's corning, corning, corning all the way. Right, right. So, so that also uh, speaks well for Apple from an American perspective. So, it's also one of the things that whenever someone has a go, if you see Tim Cook interviewed and an interviewer has a go about Apple making everything in China, Tim Cook will immediately interrupt and say, "Well, actually, no, we assemble the phone in China." But an awful lot of the components come from America. For example, all of our glasses from Corning. And then he goes into how many thousands of people work in Corning. And I think some of the CPUs. And he lists off basically these high-end components which are made in America and then shipped to China for final assembly and then shipped back to the US. for Well, some of them to the US, some of them to Europe. Shipped around the world from there. But Corning right. keeps coming up. Right. Right. Yeah. So that was a, that's a, just it's a good, smart move on multiple levels. I, I guess the other obvious political level is there is there was a clear promise made during the election to bring jobs back to America. And it's probably in Apple's interest to be seen to be doing that without being forced to do that without some sort of imposing right. something on you know you know being seen to be proactive and like you say especially when apple are disagreeing with the administration on other topics it, it can't but help apple to basically say no we're honest brokers here sometimes we agree sometimes we disagree but we're going to be honest brokers with you and here's a billion dollars to prove we're serious right exactly exactly and it's and it also helps from an app strictly apple's perspective is that they have put money into a main supplier you know a supplier who has been there and and done a good job over a long period of time so it's just a win 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 
Yeah. I, I wonder who gets the other 800 million. Yeah, not heard anything on that. No, it'll be interesting to see. I'm I'm like Linda, this is a win-win-win for Apple, but I also think it's good just across the board for for American business and technology. And and I've heard some folks question, okay, is this going to be is this going to take jobs because we're investing in high high-tech manufacturing, so are we taking jobs? I don't know about you guys, but I think that's the wrong question. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, goodness, that's where you want. You, you don't want. Um, you want America to have high quality jobs that are not easy to ship overseas because they involve skills. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, look, I I understand that there are a lot of people that are going to have to be retrained, and I think that's something we need to start making part of our culture is the retraining. Uh, I mean, what, what is it now? They they say you're going to have how many jobs in your lifetime now? Maybe that number is going to go up or you just – okay, every every five to ten years minimum, you're going to expect to reinvent yourself. I, I heard something interesting uh, from a manager. Apparently in some places they have the 357 rule. In less than three years is too soon to change position. Five years is probably optimal and if you've been in the same position for more than seven, you've been there too long. Hmm. That's Which think of, and think about how that flies in the face of of uh, corporate loyalty and the things that were rewarded in the past. Yeah. Now, in this case, the context was movement within a large institution, so that you would change role, not change employer. But okay. I think the same applies at a bigger scale. I think you know if you're working within a large organization, there's a lot of room to continue your development and to have change within that one organization. But if you're working in a 20-person a organization where the 357 rule means you move from one to another because you can't right. move internally. Uh, but right. yeah, the days of I join a company straight out of school, I work my way through the ranks, and I retire on a pension plan from that company, th- those days are gone. Yeah. Long gone. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll add that uh, a company like, like Apple, uh, ha- by retaining employees who are 20-year, 30-year, 40-year people, that's a desirable thing for them because those people learn – they may move from position to position and mm-hmm. uh, be required to learn new skills, but they have the company culture. Yeah. And so, have, yeah sorry. Yeah. Just, okay, just having that knowledge, being able to transmit that knowledge – and working from that place of having the company culture is a huge asset. They do what they can to not lose people, and that's I'm saying Apple, but it could the same would pertain to Microsoft and Amazon and, and Google and et cetera, et cetera. And so. from, from Apple's point of view, you want them within the company, and you want them moving position regularly. <clears throat> you want both of those things. You 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 want macroscopic stability that they're still Apple employees, but you want. On a smaller scale, you want to see them move from department to department, from from role to role, so that they become ever more rounded and ever more skilled individuals. And financially, that makes an awful lot of sense as well, because actually employing new people, um, yeah. even though it even though it brings new blood into your company, which is a good thing at times, uh, is actually hugely expensive to do that. And it's it's much better to be able to reuse skills that you already have within the company in a different way. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be reskilling people, but better to keep the skills you've already invested in instead of spending the same money to to skill people you 
you know, having people take skills away. So if you have the same people and you're reskilling them, then it's additive. Whereas if you have massive churn, you're still spending the same amount of money, but an awful lot of the skills are sodding off. Yeah. And you can't, you, you can actually be spending more, more money, you know, by having new people coming in because the training, uh, again, the culture, the way things are done, the attitudes, for instance, in, at Apple, secrecy, you know, learning to keep, <laughs> to not go out and say, oh, I'm working on this neat, cool thing, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously they get oriented around those values, but the, there would be other examples. Yeah. From an Irish from an Irish point of view, the the thing that strikes me is so Ireland is quite competitive in the tech market and we're competitive not because we're cheap, because we're not cheap. Ireland is the price of living in Ireland is actually quite high, so our wages have to be high so that people can afford their rents and so forth. So when Intel come here, the actual price the actual wage bill Intel have to pay when they're here is quite high. But the reason they're here is because we have a very skilled workforce. And that means that the jobs we do have are very high value jobs. So people have good salaries and they provide Intel with expertise they can't outsource to China and so forth. And I I, I think that's the kind of job that Apple's billion dollar fund is trying to encourage. And I I would suggest that for the United States, they're much better off being an Irish style economy than being a Chinese style economy where it's, it's, it's about providing that value. That's so that's hard to outsource. Yeah. I would yeah. agree. Okay. Uh, unless someone else has any thoughts, uh, I'm going to move us on to another meta story. This is not one that brings me any joy whatsoever, but there was a definite trend in the security world Attackers have, for a long time, not bothered with the Mac. It's being a Unix-based system and being more of a walled garden. Apple's products are more of a hurdle for attackers. There is no such thing as perfect security because all software is written by human beings and all human beings make mistakes. So it's it's not reasonable to say that Apple is somehow perfect or brilliant. But it is reasonable to say that Apple have a fairly high bar to entry, and especially with the Mac, Apple haven't got the world's biggest market. There are so many more Windows machines out there than there are Macs out there. So for a long time, we've had the joint benefit of having pretty good security, actually, and not being a big target. So we've we've had a, a charmed life on the Mac. But in May of 2017, it didn't look like that. Um, and I think that's worth noting that we are catching the eye of people who we probably sh- would prefer not to catch the eye of. So th- the first news that caught my eye is something called the Snake Trojan, which is basically Windows and Linux malware that's been around for really quite some time, has been re- rewritten for the Mac, basically ported to the Mac. And so this is your typical fake Adobe Flash installer, which actually installs uh, a backdoor onto your computer. And then we had an incident where a very popular piece of Mac uh, freeware called Handbrake, which is a, a DVD ripper, their official download server was hacked and the DMG file was replaced with a DMG file that contained a booby-trapped version of the Handbrake app. So yes, you got Handbrake, but you also got malware on your computer as well as Handbrake. And so that that's effort being put into attacking us Mac users that we didn't used to see. 
I guess one thing I will say is, so far, knock on wood, these have been in the form of Trojans, which means you have to infect yourself. So it's like the wooden horse of Troy. The, the you know, the, the the Trojans had to open the gates and wheel the horse in. Well, you have to you have to actually install a Trojan to infect yourself. But the day may well come when I can't say that anymore, and that something truly viral, something like WannaCrypt or whatever, does arrive targeting the Mac. But for now, I guess at least it's it's just Trojans. But it's still a trend that I thought was very noteworthy this month. And we we all we've all known this time was coming. Yes. I mean, as as Apple and the Mac have become more popular, and it, it just I mean it just begs to be a target, and it's too bad. And I'm I'm delighted that it's not as much of a target as it is, and I'm delighted that it's not as as much Swiss cheese as maybe some other operating systems seem to be. There don't seem to be quite as many vectors coming in, but you know it's a time that just okay now we have to be a little more careful. Yeah. And 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 that's you know it, it's almost back to the the earlier story Bart you know this is the time we live in we we can't we can't go back to the old days because the old days are gone so now you just have to do a little bit of education and a little bit of a few precautions definitely have better backups and keep on going uh, yeah, exactly. Backups are your best protection against all of these kind of things because inevitably something can and will go wrong and it may be just bad luck as in your hard drive explodes. Well, hey, you have a backup. Or it may be that some sort of nasty virus breaks out and it's some sort of zero day where there is no patch available for a day or two and then you could lose all your data that way. But it doesn't really matter how you lose your data. If you have a backup, you have a backup. And so I think that's a good thing. And the other thing is, if you're one of those smug people who go around telling everyone that you're you're safe because you're on a Mac, you, you need a reality check. You are you are not correct, and you may get a really nasty surprise one of these days. Yeah. Um, I think we've been uh, very lucky. Um, I think Apple have done a really good job at protecting us effectively um, over the last few years. I think um, iOS but, is spectacular in that regard. But uh, yeah, remind me to come back to why I'm so in love with iOS. Sorry, Nick. Yes, uh, but um, but you're right. It's a little bit like the uh, the um, the thief has got the uh, the window part jimmied open now. Um, so we've just got to be aware that, that, that there's a gap in the window and <laughs> that, that we we need need to be careful. Maybe I'll tweak your that, analogy, Nick. Having come. Can I suggest a slight tweak to your analogy? We have decent locks, and up until now, no one has even tested to see whether the door is locked, and now they're wiggling all the door handles and wiggling all the windows to make sure we've protected ourselves. Yes. Yes, I like that. (laughs) Good analogy. Uh, Just to, to come back to iOS, right? So the Mac is not, by any measure, no matter how you choose to measure it, the Mac is nowhere near the most popular operating system on this planet. I mean, that is clearly Windows by a million and one miles when it comes to desktop and laptop OSs. Mm -hmm. But iOS is an extremely popular platform. And yet, iOS has proved to be much, much safer than Android. And uh, Apple deserve an awful lot of credit for that because Apple... The security Apple have put in place on iOS is measurably and markedly better than what's going on in Android in many ways, from fundamental design through to implementation. And the fact that Apple have managed to keep iOS users as safe as they have for as long as they have 
is not because iOS isn't popular. It's not because there's no one trying. It's because Apple have genuinely done a really good job of building a robust operating system. So I say hats off to Apple for what they've done with iOS because it, it impresses me how how safe iOS still is despite its age and its popularity. I'm uh, particularly interested in what Apple is doing to help us be more secure on both platforms. Um, in particular, uh, I mean, some of the, some of the things we, we have known about for quite some time, you know, they've been, been in place, but, um, you know, them having signed developers and I guess they did something with respect to the handbrake situation. They had chosen not to be a signed developer, if I remember correctly. And, uh, The Handbrake project basically felt it was too much effort to do code signing. So Handbrake always came up as being unsigned. And so when the malware replaced the real Handbrake, they also came up as being unsigned. So that didn't set off red flags for people because that was expected behavior. Right, right. Uh, but Apple has has encouraged developers to uh, become signed developers, et cetera, et cetera. They, the new file system also is supposed to be especially secure in some ways. So I uh, – but, Bart, that is much more your area of expertise than mine. Well, so the, the, some places – go ahead. Go yeah, right so ahead. The, the new file system, that's about a different kind of security. So the new file system is designed to have encryption not just at a disk level – but at a folder or even a file level with potentially different encryption keys in different places. So you could that file system supports the concept that different data should be given different protection levels. So you can imagine a device like an iPhone. Some things are allowed to happen while the device is locked and some things are only allowed to happen while the device is unlocked. With that file system, Apple could set it up that some parts of the disk are decrypted when you while the phone is locked and powered on and other parts are encrypted and then when you unlock the phone the whole thing becomes decrypted so they have much more control over what's encrypted and what's decrypted at any one time it's not the disk is unlocked or the disk is locked it really could be this one file is unlocked and that one file isn't so that it's much more about the sort of the privacy sort of angle and also making it harder i guess for one malicious app to reach over and grab stuff elsewhere that it shouldn't be able to get to. So I guess in that regard, it is about security. But it, yeah, it, it, the new OS isn't, or sorry, the new file system isn't so much about stopping malware. It, it is more about protecting your privacy through much better support for encryption. Okay. And when that moves to the, to, um, the Mac, which I think it's, it's, you know, they announced it, that, I believe, last year at WWDC mm-hmm. that they were intending to do that, then that may also. And if it does keep uh, moving from one app to another, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating because, again, this is your area of expertise far beyond mine. But I have the curiosity. I have the questions. So um, you can obviously elaborate on that at any at any point this podcast or others that you were on yeah and i will listen avidly well i mean it's probably good to sort of to look at the big picture view of what apple does so when mac os first launched it had much fewer security features than it does now and there was no one point where all of a sudden it changed dramatically what's happened is apple have very slowly over time added and added and added so it started off as a unix based os which means it was already quite locked down But since then, Apple have introduced the concept of sandboxing, which basically means that apps don't run unfettered. The access between the app and even the file system and the network, basically the access between the app and everything else in your system 
is regulated by the OS. The OS has effectively put each app in its own little prison, and there are rules to say, well, this app is allowed to talk to the microphone, but it's not allowed to talk to the camera. Or this app is allowed to talk to this one folder, but it's not allowed to talk anywhere else on disk. This app is allowed to use accessibility features. This app isn't. And so everything apps do is regulated through the sandbox, which is basically just a list of you may and you may not. And so that means that if there is a bug in an app, it's very much trapped by the sandbox. The, the app, the malicious code can't reach out and do all the damage it used to be able to do before sandboxing. So that that's a big thing. Then the next thing then is you have the concept of code signing. And code signing doesn't make an app secure, but it makes it attributable to a person. And it means that you can detect tampering. So an app that is signed, if you alter the code after you sign it, the signature won't match. And so you can detect that this is not the app that was published. In other words, someone has injected new functionality into this app. And that in reality is almost certainly malware. So in other words, this isn't really handbrake. This is actually handbrake that's been altered. But unfortunately, Handbrake wasn't signed, so that didn't happen. Um, And then the other thing, of course, is if an app is signed, Apple then have a very easy mechanism for blacklisting known malicious apps. So we have this thing called X-Protect that's been built into our operating systems. And it's it's blacklist-based malware detection. So when there is a known bad thing, your Mac actually detects it for you before it runs using X-Protect, and it will step in and stop it. So... The handbrake thing didn't infect a lot of Macs in the real world because Apple very quickly pushed out an update to X-Protect that just stopped it in its tracks. And the same was true of the fake Adobe installer based on the Snake Trojan. That was stopped in its tracks very quickly because Apple pushed out an update to X-Protect. Then, of course, you have the App Store where you have actual human beings vetting stuff. Now, again, it's not perfect, but a human being vetting stuff will catch an awful lot more stuff than apps that are completely unvetted. So again, it's more secure. It's a higher bar to entry. And then with the latest version of OS X, Apple stepped things up yet another notch with this thing called System Integrity Protection, or SIP, which is basically there are parts of the OS that not even the OS can alter. Not even the root account is allowed to, is capable of altering SIP-protected parts of the OS. So even if there is, you know, basically it makes the OS a lot more robust to bugs in certain parts of the, you know, in, in more privileged parts of the code, so it's the OS is getting ever more robust and Apple are tightening it down and making it stronger and stronger and stronger with every release. And I imagine by this time next week, we will have heard about some new security features because there's almost certainly going to be something improved or tweaked or tightened at WWDC when they tell us about the next version of Mac OS. So it's been this really strong evolution where the Mac is getting better and better at keeping us safe. Okay. So I think it's fair to say that even though... Apple users have been fairly complacent about security. Um, Apple, as you've just described, have been incredibly active and have constantly tried to make it more and more difficult for people to actually get in. Yeah, Apple are pretty good at this cat and mouse game. They've been playing it very quietly, but they keep on making a better cat. (laughs) Yes. And isn't that one of the reasons, I mean, it's kind of interesting, isn't that one of the reasons that maybe we are a bit more complacent than we should be? Because we expect that, that, yes. that perfect cat. Well, yeah, yeah but, but they've also been so good at it. They've deflected so many things. True. They have not left the, the gaping holes open for, to, for virus writers to drive trucks through. Uh, that, you know, and, and it, 
I'm, it, it always amazes me how how people accept that as you know it's acceptable it's okay well this is this is it i mean yes there is a world we live in now that there are some dangers but there are steps you can take to minimize the danger yeah mm. and i i should say that apple well big picture wise if you look at apple in the big picture they've been very proactive about rolling out new technologies before the crisis happens so apple have made all of these changes not reactively but proactively and they should be lauded for that they are somewhat schizophrenic when it comes to security because they're very good at dealing with the big picture design and philosophy and stuff. And then they can make the most stupid mistakes you can possibly imagine in the really, really small nitty-gritty stuff. Like OS X contains a lot of open source components and there have been a number of occasions throughout the history of Mac OS X and it's Mac OS, whatever we're calling it these days, where Apple have failed to push patches to the open source components out to the Mac. And in theory, the Mac has been left vulnerable for months on end needlessly. A particularly egregious example, now we're talking five or six years ago, was when there was a a nasty bug found in the Samba Windows file sharing library. Apple at the time used Samba in Mac OS. They've stopped using the Samba project and have rolled out a different implementation for Windows file sharing. But they were using Samba. There was a known vulnerability. It was patched in every other OS and Apple utterly dragged their heels for months and months and months. And that was just a rookie mistake. And they got away with it. They were lucky because at the time the the Mac wasn't popular enough that it was inviting to attackers. But we just got lucky when Apple were doing that kind of stupid thing. Now, credit to Apple. They haven't made a colossal mistake like that in recent years. But we do have to be fair and say that there is an element of luck here because there were a few times in the history they did not get it right in the execution. Mm. Hopefully, yes. uh, we'll be, yeah. yeah, fewer and fewer of those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was quite cranky about them at the time. If you listen to Alison's podcasts from that date back from those times, then a silver cast from back then, you will hear me explaining exactly yeah. how wrong-headed it was to do that. So I, I think we need to be fair to Apple. You know, praise them for what they do well, but equally, don't be afraid to condemn them for what they don't do well. Yeah. We we enjoy it when you're cranky sometimes. But... I, I, that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. <laughs> because you shouldn't encourage me because then I'll just be a cranky side all the time and that won't make me happy. <laughs> anyway, I am going to take us into the fourth of our major stories, which is again one of these meta stories. So it has been a big month for whatever we call these physical digital assistants. So these generally tube-shaped devices which you place in your home and you speak to and they do stuff. I'm not sure what name, you know, digital assistant could be software, but it seems to be sort of what we're calling them. But these devices, and I have the distinct feeling that when we come to record next month's show, post-WWDC, that this may be a topic again. It's just just a hunch. Mm. But anyway, so the, I, I'll just read through the list of stories and then we can, we can talk about them. So this month, Amazon added voice calling to their Alexa app uh, and to their Echo and Echo Dot physical devices. Amazon announced a new device, which basically is like their Echo products called the Echo Show, but it has a screen. So the Echo Show can show you things and you can interact with them on that screen. Microsoft have launched a physical Cortana device, which they have called Invoke, which I actually think is a superb name. I love that name. You invoke things by saying stuff to this device. Very cool name. Uh, Google have released their voice assistant 
as an app for iOS. And Google have also added hands-free calling to their physical device, which they call Google Home, which gives you access to the Google Assistant through a physical device. So clearly the industry is focusing on these physical devices, which is a playground that as of this minute in time, Apple are not in. So it's it's interesting to me that this was an obvious trend. I'm, I'm curious, actually, so... How, what relationship do people on the panel have with these kind of devices? Um, Chuck, is this something you do? Like, do you believe in these kind of hardware devices? Um, yes. And and the one thing I'll I'll challenge you on is that Apple is playing in this space with Siri. It's just not with a dedicated device. Yes. But and and I don't want to take us too far down the argument of. Does, do you need a dedicated device? I think I think there are arguments both ways. I, there's a lot, and I'm going to be very careful here, folks, what I say, so I don't trigger your devices. But there's something very <laughs> appealing to be able to to pick up my my phone, or in my case, um, raise my watch to my to, close to my mouth and say, "Hey, you, you know, do this for me. Put this on my on my shopping list, or remind me to do this at such and such a time." And there's also something very appealing to walk in your house with your arms loaded with groceries or whatever else, mm. and say, you know, um, you know, Miss Amazon, yeah, to turn on, you know, turn on the lights. So uh, yes, I, I I very much I have Echo. I have two Echoes, um, and I have. Um, no, yeah, that's all I have. I have two Echoes, and I also have Siri every, everywhere with me all the time because of my, of, of my watch. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm very much into it. I'm still exploring exactly what to do with it and how. But I think this to me is so much like so many pieces of technology. If you can find just one or two things that it does consistently and makes a big difference for you, that's enough. Yeah. Anything else after that is just cake. You know, but but find those one or two things, and if that's good enough for you, that's that's fantastic. I'll, I'll tell a story on myself because I've I found myself doing this, um, and it goes a little bit back to some of the health tracking. I wear my my watch to bed mm-hmm. because I and I also um, use a sleep tracker, but that's sort of beside the point. But it's not uncommon for me to wake up in the middle of the night, something is on my mind, and where I used to try to reach over and scribble it down to paper. And then not be able to read it in the morning. <laughs> All I have to do is is raise my watch and say, "Hey, remind me to about such and such at eight a.m. tomorrow morning," and I've got it, and I can go back to sleep. Cool. Now, I could I do that? Could I do that with my Echo? Yeah, maybe. But it's it's very nice to make sure that it's right there in front of me. I can feel it tap me on the wrist to know acknowledge that it's done it, and I'm I'm finished. Um, so. Nick, do do you have a, a, any of these kind of devices in your life? I do, I do. I have one of the. Um, in fact, I have two of the Amazon devices. Um, I I think you know. I think this is something. Uh, I think it's something quite primal. Um, the fact is, when when we when we live with someone, um, it's quite natural to say, "Ah, oh, while you're in the kitchen, put the kettle on," or. Yes, you know, uh, uh, t- uh, could you turn the lights on while you're there? Or that's a very natural thing to do. And if you go back to the very beginnings of science fiction on television, everyone wanted to be able to walk into their house and have the, have it do something. Um, so this, it, in some ways, we've just got to a point where the technology has caught up with 
science fiction with what we really wanted to be able to do. Uh, and I think the reason these things are so popular is purely that, is that people have been waiting for this opportunity. And I think it's fantastic to be able to walk in and, uh, with my arms full and tell it, um, my Amazon device to turn on the lights and put the kettle on and turn the TV on and, and all those sort of things. It, it's great. It just feels very natural. And I think I think that's what's make it, that's why they're so popular is because it does feel very natural. If perhaps if I lived with somebody else, <laughs> you can have an it argument. might be different for me. Yes, <laughs> it might be different if there are a number of people in the household. Um, but because I live on my own, for me it's just oh, it's great. The it, house it really works your really bidding. well. Indeed, I, I must point out by the way um, in your in the things that you read out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, unlike Apple, where everything is launched internationally, the uh, voice calling for Alexa and um, uh, the Echo Dot devices isn't available in the UK yet. Oh. Uh, and, not, and, and the Echo Show won't be until later either. Oh. So unfortunately, we have to wait for them. <laughs> Actually, and, and Google have much less internationalization as well than Apple do in that regard. I think in terms of language support, I think Siri is ahead of the game. Yes, yeah. Except that Siri doesn't understand me, but they're... <laughs> I think they all have, well, I think a lot of them suffer from that. Uh, Linda, do, do you have a relationship with any of these kind of devices? Um, I use Siri quite a bit. I do not have an Amazon device, partially because I'm paranoid about having a always listening thing in my house. Mm. Um, that just gives me heebie-jeebies, and I understand other people that doesn't bother them at all. Uh, but I like I, I buy quite a lot from Amazon, and I'm perfectly happy to have them constrained inside the web page on my Mac. Um, that's where I want them. So <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. You see, so, Linda, I've I've turned off the purchasing bit altogether. I'm not interested in telling it to buy things for me. Um, As you say, I'm quite happy to go through a web page to do that. It's all the other yeah. things it can do that uh, that appeals to me. I heard someone on another podcast, and I'm trying to remember who that was. Oh, I know who it was. It was uh, Victor Kahiao on uh, the, a recent MacCast with Adam, oh. who, so we know. And he said that he and his wife were having a discussion about something. And at some later time, there were ads then appearing about that something. And that was there was no conversation with Amazon device in that thing. Now, doesn't we don't know that could be just coincidence, but that gives me heebie-jeebies. And I, you know, if Apple comes out with something, I certainly will look at it because I trust Apple with respect to privacy. But personally, I'm just I don't want an always-on thingy. Um, yeah, unless it's unless it's Apple that I trust. So yes, enough so. said. I also don't have any of these devices in the house and I have no particular interest yet. Um, I I did for a while have Siri enabled on my watch because I liked the idea that unless I lifted my wrist, it wasn't listening. I, I liked that. And it's very easy to lift your wrist, so it, it wasn't a, a burden. The main problem I had is that it just didn't do anything for me. It didn't do enough for me to get over the very Irish, I hate talking to myself thing that Irish people have going on. <laughs> I will look like a fool, therefore I shall not do this. Uh, I think we may have picked that up from the English while they were over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I just haven't quite got over the barrier. But I think it's it's extremely early days because I quite like the concept of getting to a stage where you can have 
a natural conversation with the ether like you can in Star Trek The Next Generation. To me, the ideal interaction is the way Geordi LaForge talks to the computer. A lot of the Star Trek characters talk to the computer like it's their servant. Geordi talks to the computer like it's his peer. And he has a very natural rapport with the computer. And that's sort of where I'd like to end up. And we're very early days, obviously. But my big thing is I have a mantra when it comes to any of these things is follow the money. I want that kind of a, a service. But I want it delivered to me by a corporation whom I pay, where I am the customer. And therefore, that corporation is out for my best interest. The last company and the last type of corporation on this planet I want to have that kind of relationship with is a corporation where I'm the product being sold to their actual customers, which is why there isn't a hope in hell of a Google device ever coming in here. Not because I think Google are some sort of Satan, but Google's business model is to sell my privacy. Some people are happy to say, great, I don't have to hand you dollars. I just hand you my information and you do cool stuff for me. I would rather hand over my dollars, and that's just my choice, or my euros in this case. So I want Apple to get into this space, and I want Apple to get to the point where they can deliver on that promise where it actually works. And right now, it just feels to me like we're we're just at the beginning of this. This is so early days. It, I can see the potential, but so far it hasn't been realized yet. And maybe Apple will say something really exciting on Monday that will change, you know, that will trigger me to to think again, to give it another go, to, to have at it again. And in particular, in terms of physical, a physical manifestation of this ether, I like the idea of the Amazon show, especially in the kitchen, because yeah. I would like to be able, while I'm cooking, with my hands covered in raw egg or raw beef or whatever it is I'm up to, I would like to be able to say... Dear Dingus, show me the recipe for whatever it is I'm making. Okay, next page, previous page. How long should I do that or whatever? Show me how do I fill it or whatever. I need... The screen is vital. It can't only be voice. I I should be able to say, show me the weather. Because I can see a lot more from five icons for the next five days than I can from something talking, 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 Mm. talking. Because I'll have lost attention by the time you get to Tuesday. What I actually cared about was Thursday, and by the time I zone back in again, you'll be on to Friday, and then we get to start all over again. So so I think it has to have a screen for it to work for me, because, well, I just don't have the attention span, I guess. I think that might be Yeah, that's that's why I think the Echo Show sounds, sounds really exciting. I, I think it's the next. It's the next step on. Sometimes you do want a vocal response, but as you say, sometimes. Uh, I mean, there is a there is a uh, a cooking app for uh, for the Echo that that will will give you the instructions one at a time, which is which is a good step in the right direction. Yes, but it would be much better to have a picture or or written instructions. Well, when someone says to me finally chop i would like you to show me what you mean because quite frankly there's a very large difference between finally chop and finally chop (laughs) yes skin this avocado how in the sodding hell am i supposed to do that without slicing my fingers off please show me careful so 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 bart how do you feel or have you tried any of this with siri um on your mac 
Oh, or, God, or if I'm Mac. doing it on my Mac, is, I, I, yeah, I'm I, I, sitting in a room by myself talking to my computer, no thanks. When I had Siri on the watch, the one thing, it, the one use case I had for it by far the most often was while cooking, where I just had no free hands and I would just say things like, remind me to do something, set a timer for this amount of time. You know, and it, assuming it understood me, it was actually quite good. The problem is I I don't quite speak the Queen's English and it didn't always, she didn't always understand. Or he actually, it's, it's a he here. Well, I guess I'm, I'm going with the idea that you're saying that a screen would be beneficial for Echo. And so what about Siri on a Mac that already has a screen? Now, I realize you're, if, if you don't have a laptop, that may not apply to you, but you have to buy a Mac for the kitchen. But if you have a laptop that you could take and, and put on your counter, hopefully away from all the, 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 the water. Um, I think it needs to be its own device. I think it actually needs to be a standalone device whose only job in life is to be that info screen. Ideally, yeah, speaking, do you want thin and tall, and, and you know, no keyboard, no. Yeah, do you, do you want to put your twelve hundred dollar or fifteen hundred dollar, seventeen hundred dollar laptop where you can spill water all over it? Uh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Whereas these devices, particularly the um, sure. uh, the Amazon and the Google ones, are reasonably priced. So you know, if you break it, oh well, that's bad, and it's going to cost you, but it's not going to cost you as much as damaging your laptop. Yeah, no, believe, believe me, I'm I'm with you on all those points. I guess I'm I'm just thinking about okay, does Apple does Apple have an opportunity here where it it already has its its intelligent assistant there? It already has the ability to make screens and small devices. I mean, is well, is that a logical I device? Think it does have, but I think you're on the right track, Chuck. But I think you need to change from Mac to Apple TV. What's I disagree. About- iPad. iPad would also be good. So it would actually be nice if Siri on your watch had the power to remotely unlock your iPad and make it light up and make it do something. So you could leave the iPad sitting on the windowsill or whatever and speak into your watch and say, hey, dingus, show me how to fill it a haddock and that your iPad will just light up and show it to you. That That would be useful. And I think a lot of people have televisions in the the room they spend their non-sleeping time in. And so I think that is a screen that's there and ready and Apple could make more use of. And they already have a physical device that they could incorporate the directional microphones and whatever else they need. And I think as much as it may ick people out even more, I think we need these devices to have cameras so that they can recognize us. And so that when I say, hey, dingus, what time is my first meeting? I will get an answer for when my first meeting is. And when my husband comes down the stairs and says, hey, Dingus, what am I doing this afternoon? He will not be told about my meetings, but will in fact be told what he's supposed to be doing in the afternoon. And I don't think think it's enough. I think ideally what what a lot of people are looking for is the intelligent home. Uh, What's the name of that um, sci-fi program? that had a home that was intelligent. Oh, I can't remember. Um, there was one that it literally had a voice and would respond. And I mean, that's effectively what a lot of people want. They don't want to have to have another device or another, or, or interacting through devices they already own. They just want to be able to speak and stuff happens. 
right now. Are you e? talking I think that's. I think that's where all this stuff's going eventually. Yeah. and I think eventually we have. We'll be back to our homes. We have a good sci-fi example. The problem is, for plot reasons, this particular sci-fi example turned out to be evil. But if you leave aside the plot, which made it evil, <laughs> then actually, Hal is your perfect example. It's the one brain that is everywhere, with the which has scattered throughout eyes, ears, and a voice, and screens. And you talk to Hal in an extremely natural way, and Hal can show you things, and Hal can do things, and Hal can listen to things, and you can show things to Hal and ask Hal, what is this, and so on and so forth. You know, it's a, it's an important plot point that Hal is evil, and why Hal is evil, and Hal is not evil because AI is evil, Hal is evil because of human reasons, right? That, that's an important point. Yeah. And people discard Hal and see Hal as some sort of dystopia. But actually, I think it's a great example of where all this kind of stuff is going. It's just that, unfortunately, for plot reasons in the particular movie it featured in, it kind of murdered people, um, <laughs> which doesn't uh, no, help actually, you. Actually, I was thinking of uh, Eureka. I don't even uh, the, know. Yeah, that's what I thought Eureka. you meant. Eureka. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought you meant, Nick. Yeah. yeah. That's a show I don't know of. I, I will have to educate myself. It's it's a light-hearted. Um, it's supposed to be about this hidden town that has all these very clever people in it, basically, and they yeah. invent things that are constantly going wrong. Oh, I think I've seen ads for it. Now you mention it, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it, what, one of the uh, the characters in it has a home that is uh, intelligent, has an AI. Aha. Okay. Um, if I may make one comment about Siri, yes, and please correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Bart, you're mentioning uh, she doesn't always understand your voice correctly. Yes. In my experience, the more I use her, the better she gets. Um, so I have to think she's learning at some level. Now, what exactly is going on there and what Apple has and hasn't said about her learning abilities, I don't know. I don't recall. Mm. But in my experience, she, I, and I think it's her getting better and better and not me getting better at better, although I think I get better at learning how to say what I want to say. But I think, um, I think yeah. uh, Linda, I think that might be true for Americans. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I, I know of one or two people in who, who live in this part of the world who really struggle with Siri. Very, right. very much. And uh, 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 me being one of them, uh, uh, I find that Siri is so much trouble that I, I've tried time and time and time and time again to see if it will get better, but it doesn't really. And don't get me wrong, um, the Amazon Echo doesn't always understand what I say, but 99% of the time it does, and that's close enough. Unfortunately for me... Siri just doesn't work most of the time. Unlike, okay. unlike other things, unlike a lot of other products, though, Apple can and do tweak Siri's brains entirely on their servers because so much of the stuff is happening in the cloud. So like Apple Maps keeps getting better even though we don't get a new app. Siri certainly learns... I mean, the voice recognition is kind of a separate issue, I guess, but in terms of Siri's ability to give sane answers to reasonable questions... It is constantly improving without Apple telling us anything because it's not happening on yeah. our devices. It's happening but in their I think, cloud. I think that's true. I think that's a true for a lot of the AIs, though. Because, it is. Um, oh, yeah. I read that when they uh, moved um, the Amazon across to the UK, they changed a lot of the questions so they had the words please after them because 
the Brits just can't help themselves. It's and not just the Brits, say... Nick. I... <laughs> the word well, that this, Siri this, this... misunderstood the most was the word please. And I can't bring myself to just demand it set a timer. I would always say, hey, Dingus, please set a timer for 10 minutes. And she would yes. mishear please as play and say, I can't yeah. play set a timer for 10 minutes. I was like, no, I said please. Well, apparently, apparently Amazon have actually... You know, they they knew that that was going to happen, so they actually programmed it that way to expect people on this side of the Atlantic, anyway, to say please a lot more often than, nice. than perhaps in other parts of the world. I also it say is, thank yes. you to Siri, which also confuses her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and Nick and Bart, I have to ask though, we're we're talking a lot about how it's not, you're not, it's not understanding you. How how are you using Siri? And I mean by that. Where is your phone or your watch when you are when you are making requests? In my case, I, the watch is raised and right in front of my face, exactly where it should be. You know, okay. as, as optimally as it should pass, as it could possibly be. And yes, mine, mine has to be because I've only got an iPhone six, so it will only work if I actually press the button. Ah, okay. I ask just because that's I, I notice much better accuracy if I. As you said, Bart, bring it up to my up to my mouth in optimal position. I, that was one of the great things. I mean, Amazon did a great job with the Echo when they brought it out by putting all those microphones in it, so that it can pick up a lot a lot better audio. I think than the iPhone. That's why I think I have better luck. And and really, that's my preferred method of invoking Siri is you know by the watch next next to my mouth. Yeah. And I don't have any, I, I have, I mean, I did have problems, but she has learned my voice and I don't know why it would be that she would learn my voice and not yours. So, I mean, that doesn't seem, but maybe I suspect I may be more persistent, but well, it maybe may also be that there are more Californians talking into her and that she's learning not only from you, but from a bigger population and that Ireland is such a small country that there's only 4 million of us in total. And we're not all iPhone okay. owners, and we're not all Siri users. So that well, okay. And not, I would just not, say... Don't get me wrong; not not all Brits have problems with with Siri. Yeah. It seems to and, be and, it seems to be me. And I'm, and, and I'm not but, from California, for what that's worth. But I but live I'm here. Sorry. But I'm not from here, so it's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's like I'm like you, Bart. I I translocated, so um, relocated. So, so yeah, anyway, do I detect a hint of Boston in that? No, there's actually a hint of South. Oh, okay. I'm terrible at accents, clearly. I don't understand them. Especially the U.S. They're, you know, I'm not very good at British accents or Irish accents or Scottish accents either. (laughs) So it's okay. (laughs) Okay. I am going to move us along. Uh, That was a really fun discussion, but it it certainly wasn't short, which is good because my spidey sense tells me this will be a topic again next month. Um. Just a quick list of some corporate comings and goings, sort of to keep our peripheral vision on what Apple is up to. Um, so I've decided to combine, in previous months I, I focused on people coming and going, but I've decided that people and companies being bought can go together in this section because it's it's not about the individuals, it's about keeping track of the big picture in my mind. So I just, I just think it's important that we draw attention to them every month. So Apple have bought a company called Bedit, which is a sleep tracking app it sounds awfully like a, a some sort of competitor for Grinder, but it isn't. It's about tracking your sleep, um, which is obviously interesting given the wearables discussions. Um, Apple have also bought a company called Lattice Data, and they are a company who specialize 
in extracting useful information from so-called dark data. Basically, get the signal from all of that noise out there, which obviously, again, is a big tie-in to the conversation we've just finished having. Um, Mm -hmm. Apple have hired uh, Denise Young-Smith... Sorry, not hired. They've changed her title. I would, I say promotion. I think, I think she's, she's. I think it's promotion. But anyway, she was a vice president, comma worldwide talent and human resources, and she is now vice president for inclusion and diversity. So basically, Apple have had a bit of a reshuffle at, at the top levels, and she has a new title, which seems it seems to me a more interesting title. Um, Apple have hired uh, Lauren Kern. Uh, she is an editor from the New York Magazine and now has a post at Apple, which is a post which didn't exist before. She is now editor-in-chief of Apple News, which I think means Apple News is developing a, an editorial opinion and a sort of a... Has, his opinion isn't quite the right word. What, what, what is the right way to say that? Can, any, can anyone think of how, how, how you would look at having an editor-in-chief versus not? Control. Well, Guidance? Um, I don't know. Maybe it is opinion. It... Maybe it is opinion. Anyway, there, there is now an editor-in-chief of Apple News, and there wasn't before, so that is certainly a change. And maybe we'll hear more about Apple News at next week's keynote. Uh, Apple have also hired a gentleman whose name I am not going to attempt to pronounce, away from Qualcomm. In Qualcomm, he was an engineering VP, and he has been appointed as lead on wireless system-on-a-chip development at Apple. So given the lawsuits and stuff going on, I can't imagine Qualcomm are delighted to have Apple poaching away their engineering VPs and making them in charge of system-on-a-chip for wireless. That, that really sounds like it'll make them cranky. Um, and also, I guess, in related news, Apple have updated their website to give their executive profiles a facelift, and they've converted their old PR site into something they're calling the newsroom. So we can all go and enjoy that. Anyone anyone feel any of those are particularly worthy of, 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 a, of a discussion before we move on? I'm going to take silence as a no. So then we're going to just wrap up the show with a few quick stories. Um, Apple's iPad Pro keyboards have proved to be not quite as reliable as they should. So Apple have extended their normal warranty to basically a three-year extended program. So if you have an iPad Pro keyboard and it is misbehaving... Apple will help you out, even if you've gone beyond the regular warranty. So you have three years' worth of coverage in those devices. Uh, Time do their, you know, these various lists of people all the time. And, you know, the CEO of Apple pretty much always gets on these lists. But what's interesting is this time around, in Time's list of the 20 most influential leaders in tech, that's not, 20 is not a lot of people. Out of the 20 most influential leaders in tech... They included both Tim Cook and Jeff Williams, who is, many people would describe Jeff Williams as, you know, Jeff Williams is the Tim Cook, what Tim Cook was to Steve Jobs. I, I think that's probably a person we need to keep our eye on as being Tim's probable successor when, when things get to that stage. And so it's interesting to see them both making the top 20 most influential mm. and maybe proving the point that Tim Cook is influential. It would cost, or it is costing someone, um, $688,000 for lunch and a tour of the new spaceship from Tim Cook, and the money is going to the Robert F. Kennedy Center for Human Rights, which I guess is a worthy cause. 
Uh, after some delays, uh, Carpool Karaoke will come to Apple Music on August the 8th. And finally, Apple have confirmed they will be streaming the WWDC keynote, which is on Monday the 5th of June at 10am Pacific Daylight Time. I think that brings us to an end, unless anyone would like to uh, raise anything related to those quick stories before we wrap up. I will just make the comment that I am looking forward to the keynote with some anticipation and excitement. I think this one's going to be interesting. I don't know why I think that, but I think it's going to be interesting. It's funny you say that because my spidey sense is tingling. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm expecting fun stuff. I don't know why I am. I just am. Yeah. I would think your spidey sense has got to be off the off the charts. I mean, there's so many rumors. I, I, I don't I don't want to put a downer on it, but I'm concerned once again that there the, the rumors that no matter what Apple announces, I'm afraid they can't live up to the rumors. That's... And this just drives me this drives me crazy every single time because it just hits a fever pitch of of link bait and speculation and maybe this and perhaps that and we're hoping for and the, we want and. You know, it's, I mean, at some point, yeah, I do too, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I hope I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. I think it's fair to say, Chuck, that they won't be updating everything. <laughs> I think that is definitely fair, <laughs> which is what everyone wants. <laughs> well said. I, I think a lot of the predictions in inverted commas are actually a Rorschach test, and they're not predictions at all. They're people expressing their deepest, most inner desires, uh, which I always find interesting. Mm. Um, I, I just have this feeling that it's WWDC. It's all about software. And if there's one thing Apple can keep secret, it's software because they don't rely on outside people. It's entirely within Apple's own internal culture, which, as we've said, definitely includes secrecy. So I think all the, I think the rumors of hardware will turn out to be very disappointing for those people who believe in those things because they forget it's WWDC and not the September event. And I think Apple are going to do something fun with their OSs. And I think it's not going to be stuff that's rumored because they can actually keep their software secret. And I'm hoping that their software is going to make me go, ooh. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Folks, thank you so much for giving so generously of your time. This has not been a short show, but it has been an extremely fun and enjoyable one. So thank you very much. Um. In no particular order, Nick, would you like to tell people where they can find you on the good old internets? Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my uh, ID is Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. Linda, would, is there anything you'd like to, to plug? Also, not, well, not to plug per se, although um, Mac user groups in general, I will say, I will say that, and because uh, that's my main involvement. Uh, also can be reached on Twitter at LLG, the number four, CDG. Cool. Is, uh, I mean, you must have like a local Apple user group. Do you want, do you want to give them a plug? Or, cause I... Silicon Valley Mac user group. Uh, we meet the third Monday of every month. Uh, actually, occasionally on the second Monday, but usually on the third Monday, svmug.org. And uh, we have Bob Levitis presenting to us remotely this next meeting. So Ooh. that will be fun. That sounds very fun. What's his topic? Or has he given one? He has, uh, well, he'll be doing a little bit on WWDC, his his responses to it. Mm. And also he has a new book, um, Productivity on the Mac. Oh, excellent. That sounds fantastic. Lucky Californians. That that should be fun. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. It'll be fun. Excellent. Chuck, where can the listeners see your fantastic work? 
Uh, MacVoices.com is where you'll find pretty much everything I do or links to everything I do. And you can find me on Twitter as Chuck Joyner. Excellent. Uh, you will find detailed show notes, basically the stories that informed our discussions today, over at lets-talk.ie. Uh, while you're there, you will find five large blue buttons under the banner support the show. I very much appreciate it when people do, in fact, support the show. So the single most effective method of supporting the show is to become a patron of the show on Patreon. You know, the, basically, you pledge X small dollar amount per episode that comes out. There will be exactly two every month, one Apple, one photography. So if you'd like to give $5 a month, that'll be a pledge of $2.50. You get the idea. It is so useful to me because it allows me to budget and to plan and to do things because there are bills. And when there's Patreon money, it's very useful to be able to take one and convert it into the other. So the, the patrons really are the people who make it physically possible for this show to continue to exist. So you guys absolutely rock and... I, you know, everyone who signs up is extremely helpful, and I thank you all very much. There's also a plain old, you know, PayPal donate button, which is also very useful because from time to time there are non-recurring expenses like new software, new hardware, and so forth, and the, the PayPal donations are really helpful with that. So I appreciate it every time someone clicks that button. And then there are sort of the more indirect methods of helping the show. There's a Zazzle store where you can buy branded merchandise. You get a physical thing. That physical thing will have our logo on it. So you become sort of a walking, talking advertisement. And you have a physical thing, which hopefully you find useful. And then finally, and these are only useful if you actually need the things. There's an affiliate code for Hover.com, who are a domain registrar. If you need to register domains, then I highly recommend Hover because I think they're fantastic. And as a side effect, if you use my affiliate code, I will get a thank you from Hover for sending you their way. If you need Linux hosting then I can highly recommend uh, DigitalOcean, which is where my servers are hosted. And again, if you need hosting and you use my affiliate link, then I will get a thank you from DigitalOcean after you have spent at least $25 with them. So there's no point in clicking those last two links just for the crack because you think you're doing me a favor. It's only for people who actually need it. So basically, those are links for the nerds. But if you do need those things, I would ask you to consider clicking on my affiliate links rather than going direct. With all that said, I've been your host, Bart Bouchard, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. 